The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What is good, everybody? Welcome to another off-day debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I am Rob Stats Guerrera, and with me, after a week of vacation, he is back. He is refreshed. He is renewed. It is Brandon Lee Gowden from Bleeding Green Nation. BLG, I missed you. Stats, of course you did. Uh, many would say I'm the most important part of not just the show, but the entire SB Nation NFL Network. Someone say the universe. I'm not saying those things again. That's just being said out there. I'm back from my holdout stats. I told you that I was going to be holding out for a new contract. Clearly, I'm back, so things were resolved. I'm doing great. Glad to be back here with you. Do you harbor any ill will towards the SB Nation NFL team? Uh, I don't. I think I want to give a big shout out to Justice for filling in. They did a great job in my absence. You guys obviously had some very important stuff to talk about last week while I was gone. So kudos to you guys for, for doing a good job. We remind you, rate, review, and follow the SB Nation NFL show. And we always say, if you have a question, we will answer it on the show. Well, we have a review from the Joseph 87 who says, since I've been listening to the Acme Packing Company pod and they decided to take a break with Rogers, I've had to branch out and found this show. It's great. Here's my question for you guys. All the criticism that LaFleur gets for not going forward on fourth and kicking a field goal last year, is it unwarranted? If you rewatch the third down play, Rogers could have ran it in or at least picked up huge yardage, but he hesitated or got scared. Should some of that blame go to Rogers too? Can't wait to hear what you think. Yeah, I mean, Rodgers could have run there. I think we talked about that at the time. That's fair to say, but it's also fair to say that Matt LaFleur was a coward, as many head coaches are. So it's always possible. This is one of my favorite things, Stats. More than one thing can be true. That is yes. like a, yes. that is something we need to come to terms with as a society more. There can be more than one thing that can coexist at the same time, and it is true that Aaron Rodgers should run. It is also true that LaFleur is a coward. I completely agree with you. I don't agree with the people that say that Rodgers would have scored because I don't think he would have, but I think right. he would have gotten close enough that it would have nudged LaFleur over to the going for it column, which he mm-hmm. should have been going for it anyway. But I, uh, yeah, I agree that I think Rodgers should have run. I don't know that he was scared. I think he just thought, well, we're going to mm-hmm. go for it for fourth down anyway. But yeah, I mean, that, that play is going to live forever. And Brady certainly is not letting Aaron Rodgers forget about it. He brings it up every chance he gets. Appreciate the rating and review from the Joseph. 
like kind of like the Ohio State University. This is like the Joseph. Also, uh, kind of like how like Acme Packing Company like taking a break because of Aaron Rodgers. Like, too, like <laughs> there's too much trauma there, or just too much. <laughs> I mean, that's that's terrible. Like Aaron Rodgers is putting our Packers blog out of uh, just they're just they're making life harder on them. So that's tough. They literally don't know right now whether they're going to be Super Bowl contenders or like contenders possibly for the first overall pick in the draft. <laughs> that's where they are. That's It's tough to be a Packer fan right now. Uh, but we're not going to be talking about the Packers, or maybe we will. I don't know, Stats. I don't know what you have in your list today because we have a, a really big, exciting topic for the listeners even though, you know, it's June, it's June 30th and we're recording this last day of June. Um, but it doesn't matter that's the dead zone because we're bringing the juice to you here at the SB Nation NFL show. So one of my favorite things to do at this point of the year, I usually do it in a couple of weeks from now, but I get my fantasy magazines and I go on vacation and I sit on the beach and I read my fantasy magazines. That's like my yearly tradition. I prepare for the draft. And I get all these opinions after reading the fantasy magazines, all these new things pop into my head. You find out things you don't know, things you thought you knew, things you forgot, that type of thing. And so we thought that we would come up with a list of the most overrated players in the NFL. I started my fantasy cramming early, BLG, and uh, I've got some thoughts. I've got some opinions. I don't think a lot of fan bases are going to be happy with us after the show is over. But, you know, we do what we do. Yeah, this is obviously a little extension of what we've been doing on the NFC East Mixtape Stats, which I know is your favorite podcast that I do with RJ Ochoa, where we just ran through the most overrated players in the NFC East and underrated, too, as well, coming out actually today as we're recording this on Wednesday, June 30th. Um, But I kind of want to extend it to the entire NFL. Just kind of think it's kind of fun to not only uh, piss off people who actually like you know listen like bgn and in blogging the boys but you know the national audience as well let's just make everyone mad at us look there is a significant portion of every single fan base that only wants to hear positive things about their team and if you don't say positive things about their team you are hand waved away and dismissed as a hot take artist who's looking for clicks it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what you say it doesn't matter how true it is And I've been trying to tell people yesterday because I got into a whole thing on Twitter with one of the people on my list that, look, it's our job to talk about the good and the bad. Okay, like that is part of the deal here. So if you don't like it, tough. But hopefully you hear what we have to say and you take a hard look at whoever we're talking about and just acknowledge that we're right. This drives me nuts. Stats got a lot of flack from this very topic about being obviously too negative about the Eagles over time. And look, I get it to an extent. Like, for some people's stats, this is an experience, meaning this as in, like, watching sports, following them, that is supposed to bring them joy and happiness, right? That's the goal. And so, like, they don't necessarily want to be dragged down when they're probably already having, like, maybe a tough time going on in life right now. And then they're hearing, like, this negative stuff about their favorite thing. So I can understand where it comes from. But, like you said, it's literally our jobs to be to talk about all aspects, not just only the good. We're not, like, a PR firm over here. We're not working, right. like for the teams we're covering the teams and also i think it's perfectly okay if you're a fan to and i it's even important i would say to point out the bad because at least for me when i point out the bad i am trying to shine a spotlight on that and motivate the eagles to like fix that bad thing so then i can no longer talk about it you know what i mean like hey i'm drawing attention to this if you fix it then i can't talk about that anymore and if you do a good job i'm gonna praise you but if you do a bad job i'm gonna rip you in this case we're not really doing that about teams today as much as we're talking about overrated players. But uh, look, 
Uh, and overrated is a funny term, stats. I think we need to preface that for, for this discussion here, too. There's a very different lenses. I think things can be overrated from like a national pers- uh, perspective, a local perspective. Maybe it's just like one person really values this player, and that kind of sticks in your head. So you're like, that player's overrated because that one person really likes him and he's always talking about him. So uh, keep that in mind. And it also doesn't mean players overrated players aren't necessarily bad players. I want right. to point that out too. It's not like this player sucks because they're over. No, that's not what we're saying. It's we're saying the perception of that player doesn't meet the reality. A hundred percent agree. And that, that's something that it seemingly has gotten lost. Overrated does not mean bad. Those are two different lists. That said, let's dive into it. And I told you before we press record that I was having a tougher time than I thought finding a quarterback that I thought was overrated. And your response was, really? I've got a <laughs> bunch. So I ask you, let, reveal at least one of your overrated quarterbacks. It's actually just like a list of all 32 quarterbacks. <laughs> what I have. This is everyone is very on brand for me. No, it's not that. It's actually someone you were talking about recently, Stats, here on the SB Nation NFL show. It's Josh Allen. Josh mm. Allen obviously had a really good year last year, but you kind of touched on this. So I, don't, I don't even know how much we should get into this as a whole discussion as I just want to reinforce this point of like, how is his accuracy going to be in 2021 after going from 52.8 completion as a rookie to 58.8% in his second season to 69.2? So like almost an 11% jump last year almost 70 percent completion like think about that that's crazy josh allen can easily have like a good year a a pretty good year again in 2021 but like i I just don't think it's going to be that high and i almost think we're overrating him because of that i think like to think like he's an mvp candidate which he probably i guess is getting some of that buzz like I don't think so. I think he can be a very good quarterback, like a good starter, can lead the Bills to the playoffs, especially given the context of their division. But I don't think like he's a top five player. Like RJ talks about like how he would take him over Dak, or like or he wouldn't take like Josh Allen's like that's in this untouchable tier to him. Like or that's one of the quarterbacks he would he says is definitely better than Dak Prescott. Like it is among the elites. Elites. I don't think Josh Allen is among the elites. Elites. Neither do I think about that about Dak. Just to be clear, but I, I just think it's kind of funny that like he's valued this highly. We have this thing that we do where we just assume that quarterbacks are just going to keep everybody really is just going to keep improving. Like once they have a really good year, they're just going to keep going up and up and up. And I said this after Mahomes threw 50 touchdowns. I said, we may have seen the best year Patrick Mahomes ever has. And people yelled at me and screamed and said I was nuts and crazy. Like, no, that that happens. The best season Dan Marino ever had was his second season in the NFL when he set the yardage and touchdown record. Like, sometimes that happens. Now, Mahomes is still really, really good, but it's entirely possible that we have just seen the best Josh Allen that we'll ever see, and that's not meant to be a knock on him. He was incredible last year, but do we think that his accuracy all of a sudden is going to take this huge jump and just stay there, or is it possible that the stars kind of aligned for him last year? He got Stefan Diggs. I'm sure that helped. And mm-hmm. his accuracy shot up and that the real Josh Allen is somewhere between the guy we saw his first couple seasons and the incredible guy we saw last year. Like that isn't the worst thought in the world, is it? It's also kind of like the Lamar Jackson discussion from last year. Like I remember you and I talking about that before the season. It's like we think Lamar Jackson is good, but we we don't think he's like as good as he was last season when he was the MVP and like, he's going to win it again. And he's just going to like, can, or you get better or even roll. Like it doesn't like work like that. It's there's a, there's a level of regression coming. It's a matter of how much 
And uh, spoiler alert, I also have Lamar on this list. But I feel like, again, wow. do we really need to get in that? Because Kyle Barbary is going to come back on the show and yell at us. Um, but yeah, but why don't we get to your first one? So my first one, and I this is kind of unfair, I willingly admit, but I think my first one is Kyler Murray. Because mm. I think Kyler Murray is less than the numbers he puts up. If you look at his numbers, he puts up really good numbers. He threw for almost 4,000 yards last year. He ran for a ton of yards. I think he had uh, 11 touchdowns on the ground, something like that. Like He put up incredible numbers. And yet, I watch him play, and all I think is, how is this guy not better? He's got a great arm. He's not an inaccurate passer, I don't think. He can move, like I said. He runs around like crazy. He generally does a pretty good job of protecting himself. And yet, when I look at Kyler Murray, I feel like he's less than the sum of his parts. Is that unfair? I actually have him on this list here also. <laughs> so people might be wondering if I actually just do have every quarterback on here. I don't. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just look at it as like, this is a guy with a 90.9 pass rating. He's 13-18-1 as a starter. And the way it kind of feels to me, and if we're talking about overrated stats, I feel like there's a perception out there that the Cardinals are like, this is their year. Like, to go – like, they're making a big push. They signed J.J. Watt. Um, they signed – uh aj green, AJ green. Like, yep yeah this is like oh we're getting these veterans we're gonna make this push like kyler is ready is he because i didn't think we saw enough out of him with his arm that makes this team a contender again i think with kyler there is a floor here we're talking about a team that's like at least going to be competing for a wild card spot like in that kind of mix i don't think he's bad by any means but again overrated as like this team being some kind of like championship favorite far from that and really even a championship contender i'm not sold on that at all so yeah i definitely think in that framing i think he's being overrated right now not only kind of like national perception but by his own team i think they're like i think they think he's more ready than he really is yeah i don't know that he's like a guy that you win straight up because of him where he puts everything on his back i don't know if he's that guy yet i also don't have a ton of confidence in cliff kingsbury and by not a ton i mean none at all um I think that Kyler would actually be better with a different head coach. Uh, I have zero faith in Kingsbury, but he just, Kyler just doesn't strike me as this guy. Like he's not Russell Wilson. And I think that that's kind of the comparison that a lot of people like to make because they're, you know, they have similar statures and things like that. And they're both doubted because of their size, but he's just not. And even though he plays my team tough, uh, I'm just down on Kyler. I don't, I think that, Fantasy-wise, he's a really good quarterback, and I think that kind of inflates the perception of him a little bit. But mm -hmm. actual football, no, I think he's a little overrated. Uh, who else is on your list, Stats? Uh, my most overrated running back is Zeke Elliott. Mm. He is the oldest 26-year-old running back in the league, BLG. <laughs> That's a great and way to put it. without an elite offensive line, like he drops off a cliff, I feel like. He has been in a perfect ecosystem for a great, for a running back, right? He's had a great offensive line for pretty much his whole career. He's had coaches that have been willing to run the ball and he's played with really good quarterbacks his entire career. And what happened last year? He didn't have those things. The offensive line got hurt. Dak got hurt. Mike McCarthy is not exactly known for running the ball. And he just looked like a shell of himself out there. He had only three gains of 20-plus yards all season last year. I don't know where his explosiveness has gone, but it is not there. And before you talk about the offensive line, Tony Pollard had five 
gains of 20 plus yards with 167 fewer touches than Zeke Elliott. So you can't just pin it all on the offensive line. I don't know what happened to Zeke. I don't know why he suddenly is like a ghost out there. But to me, he's the most overrated running back in the entire league. Why? There's a big reason for this stats. And it's because look at his touches. Look how many times the Cowboys have used him as a runner, as a receiver. And then even just in Pat, like this guy has been on the field so much and he's touched the ball and he's been tackled and he's been hit. Like all that wear and tear is going to take a toll. And that's why he's like not as explosive anymore. Again, a career low 4.0 yards per carry last year. He had a fumbling issues as well. And I had Zeke as I think, no, actually, RJ had Zeke as his most overrated player. I took Dak because, of course, that's on brand for me and I hate every quarterback. Um, <laughs> uh, but he. I had uh, Tony Pollard as my most underrated player on the Cowboys offense specifically. So, yeah, I, I think that's a totally fair pick. I think Zeke is kind of cooked, really. And it's kind of weird to me because I'm seeing a lot of hype on vlogging the boys and elsewhere where there's Cowboys coverage about like, oh, Zeke's in the best shape of his life, you know, which is what we oh, see. Here we go. I know. <laughs> I know. But like, but for real, though, it's like it's not only like those articles, but it's like he's in the best shape of his life. But actually, like, like. <laughs> like guarding against the trope. Um, I'll believe it when I see it. I think Zeke is kind of cooked already this stage in his career. Just watch him play. Go back. If you're listening to this, go back after the podcast is over. Of course, watch Ezekiel Elliott's rookie highlights. Look how he is in 2016. And then look at him last year. He's, it's just not the same level of juice. He's not the same level of player anymore. And he shouldn't be. I guess I don't think it's anything. That's, well, maybe it is. I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily him, though, as much as it's just like that amount of wear and tear is going to take a toll. Over 1,600 touches for Zeke Elliott in his career. He's led the league in rushing attempts twice his rookie year, he had 322 carries, and in 2018, he had 304, and in 2019, he had 301, which didn't lead the league, but over 300 carries in a year is a ton of carries. Still averages five yards per touch for his career, which shows you how good he used to be, but I agree, he's not that guy, and another thing that I've heard Chris Sims bring up in the past with Zeke is, yeah, he might break like a five or a six-yard run or an eight-yard run. But if you look at what the blocking was on the field, it actually should have been a 10-yard run, a 20-yard run, or maybe a 30-yard run. But like you said, BLG, that juice, when he goes to hit that extra gear, it's just not there anymore. Yeah, it's kind of zapped. And in fairness to him, I think one of the best things about Zeke that he does do well, or one of the things I've always liked about him, is that he always seems to get positive yardage, even if there isn't anything there. He's always the guy who falls forward. Like, you're not going to get him for a loss. He's like, he's going to at least find a way to get like two or three yards out of even like a bad play to his credit. But even then, like, I don't even know if he's really going to be that player anymore. And, you know, it's interesting to see, to think how much like the Cowboys might waste time on him, like when they probably be giving the ball to Pollard. If not, like, majority at least like that should be more of a split than it might be so that could affect the cowboys if they're kind of like deluding themselves into thinking zeke is still this high level player and he's not um i'm gonna go overrated i'm gonna stick in the nfc east because i picked this on the nfc East mixtape for those who didn't listen though i'm gonna go darius slay now when the eagles and stats made a face there so he's intrigued um because i like darius slay okay well darius slay the eagles traded for him and gave him the top cornerback contract in the NFL at the time of the signing. Now, it's since been passed over, but still, the Eagles paid Darius Slay to be an elite difference maker 
And the Eagles' pass defense stats was worse last year than it was in 2019 <laughs> before Darius Slade joined the team. So, like, I'm not seeing where the difference was made. And now I'm not saying, you know, the defense being bad was all his fault. No. And Darius Slade, I think, did do a better job of stopping number one wide receivers who absolutely killed the Eagles in 2019. It was less so in 2020, although Devontae Adams and DK Metcalf had huge games against Darius Slay, which is kind of an issue. So I think Darius Slay is a quality starting quarterback in the NFL, maybe even good starting quarterback in the NFL, but he's nowhere near this difference maker that the Eagles are paying him to be, and that's a big problem. I would agree with that. Like if he's your best corner, your I don't love your secondary. If he's your number two corner, I really like your secondary. Just for the Eagles, I mean, they're like you said, they're paying him to be that number one lockdown guy, and that's not necessarily who he is. Um, is there any credence as I try and stump for my guy a little bit to say, well, if the Eagles had a better pass rush, maybe mm. Darius Slay, you know, wouldn't have to cover for as long. He might look better than he has. I mean, sure, but like you're you're paying a guy to be an elite difference maker, though. Like, con- like regardless of the situation, if you're paying a guy literally CB one money at the time of the signing, like, and also giving up draft picks for him, and no, it's only you can say it's only a third and a fifth, but like when you look at the combination of all of that, like two players on rookie contracts plus all this cap space, and then it, like it, that's a trade the Eagles just shouldn't have made. Stats like it doesn't look like it even makes sense now, especially given the benefit of hindsight, it's like the Eagles actually had to restructure Darius Slay this offseason to fit under the cap this year. But that kind of is tough because now they're committing to him for future seasons as a restructure does, even though he's getting older. And cornerbacks don't age well, by the way. It's not like you're seeing corners like rebound as they're getting older. So that's just concerning for me. And he's their most overrated player. I agree that salary factors into this. Like they're... With the salary of these guys, there comes an expectation, like you said, that you have to produce. And you have to produce despite the context around you, despite the circumstances around you. Because, to quote John Hamm from from Mad Men, that's what the money is for. Like, Because there's a guy on my list that I'm going to get into later where people have been defending him for the same thing. And, and once you mm. reach a certain threshold, you don't get the benefit of those excuses is what I'm saying. Who is this guy that you're talking about? Or, or is this a tease for after break? Uh, let's tease it after the break. I'll, let's go with one more defensive player, if I could, since you brought up defense. And this is not a surprise, but to me, it's Jamal Adams, BLG. Mm. I mean, when you give up multiple first-round picks like the Seahawks gave up for Jamal Adams, you're giving up multiple firsts for a safety. He better be a difference maker, a game-altering safety. And guess what, Seahawks fans? Jamal Adams ain't that. And he ain't that for a very simple reason. The dude can't cover. He's not good at his primary job. And he's just not – it's not that he's just not good at it. He's bad at it. He's a liability in coverage. And I know he loves to talk about the sacks and how he set the record for sacks last year, and that's awesome. But you know what? The Seahawks defense was still trash last year. So his sacks are not having that big of of an effect on the actual game because the rest of the defense is so bad that teams can make up the yardage with another passing play. So I don't want to hear about Jamal Adams and how good he is because he gets a lot of sacks. His primary job is to cover, and he is 
bad at it. And like I said, that with the price the Seahawks gave up to get him and the fact that they're probably going to sign him to another deal, BLG, he's horribly overrated. And as a Niner fan, I hope Seattle plays uh, pays big money to keep him around. So I also have Jamal Adams on my list. So Bam. good job, buddy. That's some real synergy here on my return. It's like <laughs> it's like I didn't even take a week off. It's like, you know, we, we didn't miss a beat. We're true professionals over here. Uh, earlier stats before kind of prefacing this activity, I kind of talked about how overrated is like an interesting term because it's all about like the lens of that perspective. Like who is overrating him? And I don't think it's really the fans, to me at least. Because I remember the Seahawks traded for Jamal Adams and our friends over at Field Goals actually didn't like that trade. They're like, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> this is not a good move. We don't like this. So I don't even know if it's Seahawks fans, although I'm sure there are some that will stand for Jamal Adams as they will for any Seahawks player. I think Jamal Adams is really the one overrating himself, like we talked about Ooh. when he was holding out, basically, or it seemed like he was at least. We don't know that for sure. Again, it was an excused absence for minicamp or whatever, but it seems like he's kind of making a push for more money and thus is overrating himself, which is fine in terms of like he should per- push as much money as he can get. That's his prerogative. But in terms of like reality check, yeah, it's absolutely him. I looked through every roster stats here, a little peek behind the curtain, tried to find like at least one player I thought was the most overrated. And it was easily Jamal Adams when I got to the Seahawks. And I think that people like him because he's a big personality and, and he stands out from kind of the run of the mill NFL player. But I agree with you. He, he gets very prickly when you bring up the fact that his coverage stinks, which to me just goes to show that he knows it stinks and he just does. He's tired of hearing about it. I want to get to break steps. I want to find out this player that you're teasing. Okay. So there's one player that I started talking about on Twitter yesterday that basically got a whole fan base to come at me with torches and pitchforks. And Mm. I think if you ask this player, he would agree with me. We'll explain who it is when we come back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We are running through our most overrated players here on the Oddcast, part of the SB Nation NFL show. Please rate, review, and follow if you haven't done so already. All right, I've teased it multiple times during the show, Brandon, and so I'm just going to lay it out now. And it hurts my heart because he's he's a player near and dear to me. He plays for the team that I cover, and it's George Kittle. Number 85, the first 49er jersey I have paid for in over a decade. George Kittle. I love you, George. But you don't score enough touchdowns. You just <laughs> don't. And I'm sorry. When you're the highest paid tight end in the history of the league at your position, you got to get into the end zone. He has just 12 touchdowns in his last 38 games. That is simply not good enough, BLG. Mm-hmm. And I know. I know he gets a lot of catches. And I know he gets a lot of yards. And I know he breaks a lot of tackles. But you know how many points you get for that stuff? Zero. You got to get in the end zone, and Kittle just doesn't do it. He's never scored more than five touchdowns in any season of his career. It's not good enough. I just talked about it. When you get paid at that elite level, you don't get the excuse of, well, his quarterbacks stink. Well, the other weapons around him have all been hurt. 
Like, I don't care. You're paid at that level to overcome that stuff. And Kittle has not done it. Stats loves players who score his touchdowns and hates yeah. ones that don't. Imagine that. I mean, but also, like, this is your, like, your thing against Julio. You don't think Julio gets in the end zone enough. He doesn't. Um, well, here's my question for you, Stats. Like, this is an overrated conversation. So, so then what is – like, do you think – George Kittle is like not the best tight end in the NFL. Do you think he's not like, okay, so where is he then? I had said before last year, I thought he was just behind Kelsey, but now I think Mm. he might be a little bit lower. Wow. Like everybody wants to scream at me about his blocking, which I know is great, but you know what? We've had tight ends in the NFL that haven't blocked at all. that have been a lot more impactful than George Kittle. I don't know that he's necessarily better than Waller. I don't know that he's he's better mm. than Mark than Andrews, but like I, I'm not sure he's he's TE two now. Plus, he's always wow. hurt. He only played eight games last year. BLG. He's always banged up. Part of it is because how physical he plays. But I, I think that when we're talking about the best in the sport at the position, yeah, scoring touchdowns matters to me. I, I, call me crazy, but I like guys that can get into the end zone, even if they're double teamed. And I know there's a lot of people that were coming at me on Twitter yesterday saying, oh, he's wide open in the end zone all the time and the quarterbacks aren't getting him the ball. Like, <laughs> really? He's wide open in the end zone all the time. So you think that the 49ers get down to the red zone and they say, I know that George Kittle's our best player. And you know what? Let's not make him the number one read here. Let's go to somebody else with the number one read. And then they're just missing Kittle. Like, no, that doesn't happen. He might be open sometimes and doesn't get the ball, but that happens to every single player. Travis Kelsey gets missed when he's open sometimes with the Chiefs. Like, that happens to everybody. The excuses made for Kittle drive me crazy because I still love him and I still think he's really good. But it's Mm. okay to say that he needs to get better in this area. I think he would tell you that he needs to score more touchdowns. Like, I don't think this is a crazy take. But what do you think is, like, preventing him from doing it more? Is it something like a skill thing, like he's not physical enough in the red zone? Is he not, like, good enough at getting open? Like, what is the problem here? Yes, exactly that. I think that he benefits a lot from Kyle Shanahan's system and Kyle Shanahan's ability to get guys wide open. When you get to the red zone, there's not as much field to work with. Everything Mm. is condensed. And I don't know that Kittle is necessarily the best route runner. I don't think he's a very good route runner. And so I think that's when that shows up most is when the space is the smallest. When things are condensed, then he can't do it the way other guys can. Now, hopefully he gets better at that, but I think that is the reason why. He's just not a a good route runner. Like, if you look at Kelsey, Kelsey's a way better route runner than George Kittle. I'm really surprised this is your pick. I didn't, I didn't, like, I have not, obviously you're more in touch with 49ers fans than I am. I just had not seen any kind of, like, displeasure with George Kittle at all. I thought he was, like, untouchable, I guess. Exactly. He kind of is because you're getting a lot of heat from him. I'm sure a lot of people will uh, love this podcast, which potentially is getting clipped and put into the Niners Nation uh, podcast feed. So shout out to all of you if you're listening there. Um, <laughs> he is the highest paid tight end in the NFL at uh, 75 million total at 15 million a year, just over Travis Kelsey. Who I think Kelsey's contract, though, is kind of like a joke. I think if I'm not <laughs> mistaken, like it is just in terms of like the actual guarantees in there. It's like a really, really team friendly deal. I think Kittles is a little less so. Um, but OK, uh, I don't have a strong take on this because I just thought George Kittle is properly rated in my book. I think he's a really, really good player. I think it's very fair to say he is the best tight end in the NFL. If not, OK, like second. But even then, I think if you're second and you're not first, like, I mean, maybe technically overrated by letter of the law, but not not really by a lot. Okay, I'm telling you, I, I I think he gets a lot of 
protection, so to speak, because he's an awesome dude, right? Everybody loves him. They love personality. The media loves him. He's super friendly with the media. Like, I don't think a 49ers reporter is ever going to point out to George Kittle that he's never scored more than five touchdowns in any year. But I will. I don't have to be buddies with him. I don't have to see him every day. (laughs) Those are the facts, BLG, and they are not in dispute. I have a couple more overrated players, a couple on offense, a couple on defense. I'm just going to run through one real quick. Tom Brady, okay, no explanation more needed there. Um, I'm going to go with Carson Wentz. You think Tom Brady right now is overrated? Uh, Stats, it's a bit. Come on. It's not, you know. All right, uh, Carson Wentz on the Colts. I'm not even going to get into that one because I feel like I talk about him, like, way too much. Um, If you know me, you know my stance to Carson Wentz. But this is a former Eagles player that I am going to get into. And maybe, like, people are just going to be like, oh, you're just a bitter Eagles fan. I mean, I don't know how you can read that in this case because this player helped the Eagles win the Super Bowl. But I've always said, like, I don't think he's as good as people make him out to be. And that's Nelson Aguilar stats. He got this big contract from Patriots this offseason. And now, look, I think he was legitimately efficient player for the Raiders last year. Like, good season for him. I think career season for him really with the Raiders last year but like if we're looking at his entire career not just last season and not just 2017 which were the highlights of his career he's been way way worse than he has been good I want to read you these ranking stats this is from pro football focus from 2015 up 101st out of 101 receivers so the worst receiver in the league by pro football focus in 2015 he was second worst in 2016 2017 he was 35th out of 107 he had a good year the Eagles won the Super Bowl he was was legitimately good slot receiver that year but 2018 back to 74th out of 108 and 2019 124th out of 124 so once again the worst wide receiver in the NFL by pro football focus also if you don't love PFF football outsiders similar metrics like he was in those years he was like the worst receiver or like one of the very worst receivers in the nfl maybe nelson Aguilar has finally turned a corner maybe the patriots can find a way to have him be effective but to me i still see drop issues and those were still issues with the raiders last year and i just think they're going to regret this contract i think he is being overrated i think they're thinking they're getting the nelson Aguilar from last year and i don't think that's exactly who he is i think there's been a lot of bad here and there's going to be some ugliness when it comes to this contract Before this year, I would have said, like, who is rating Nelson Aguilar at all for him to be overrated? But when you see that the Patriots gave him a two-year, $26 million deal, I think it's totally fair to bring it to the table because the Patriots had a huge skill position player problem last year. Not just last year, but especially last year. They really needed to beef that up, and they went out in free agency and spent a lot of money on guys, Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar, And I don't know that that means that all their problems are solved. And you laid it out there with Aguilar, especially. I think that the quarterback that he plays with is going to have a huge impact on which Aguilar you see. And if it's the Cam Newton we saw in 2019 BLG, they're really going to be, or 2020, excuse me, they're really going to be regretting that contract. Now, obviously, Aguilar was underpaid last year when he only made $1 million with the Raiders. But like it's just crazy. Like it's it's crazy how his career has gone in the past couple of years. Like so, he wins the Super Bowl, struggles, makes nine point four million dollars on the fifth year option with the Eagles in twenty nineteen when he was like literally one of the worst receivers, if not the worst receiver in the NFL. He makes only a million with the Raiders, which I was really shocked to see. He only made like that little, and then he goes out and he gets this big contract with the Patriots. So kind of a weird arc for him. Um, do you have one more? Or do yes, you have a couple I do. more? 
Basically, yeah, when you pay Aguilar, he stinks, and when he doesn't make any money, he's good. It's essentially what I, you just I guess so. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, I have another receiver, actually, that we can go to. I think it's Juju Smith-Schuster uh, mm. of the Pittsburgh Steelers. If you go back and look at his career, he's really only had one really good career. And I can't help but notice the guy that was playing on the other side of the field from him during that really good career, and that was Antonio Brown. And let me just say, as a wide receiver, your life is a hell of a lot easier when Antonio Brown is lining up on the other side of the field because he's impacting the entire defense and what they have to do every single play. He only averaged 8.6 yards per catch last year. Now, I know Ben was, you know, his arm was falling off and all that stuff. But Juju has never really been the number one receiver that I think we all thought he was going to be when he broke out with his uh, with his year with Antonio Brown. And everybody thought, well, okay, Brown's going to be gone. They're going to get rid of that distraction. Juju's going to step up and they're going to, you know, keep on rolling. And I think that Juju's kind of living off his early success. And I think that we kind of saw that a little bit reflected in the free agency period when people were not breaking down Juju Smith-Schuster's door to go and sign him. I think part of that reason is because he's also kind of a pain in the ass just as a guy. Um, but I think you kind of saw the league say, you know what, Juju, I don't, I don't know that you're necessarily worth paying a big money and putting up with that personality in terms of the production that we see on the field when you're out there. I kind of disagree on this one. And Ooh, okay. part of it is why, like, who was overrating Juju, do you think? I think like people hear the name Juju Smith-Schuster and they think he's like one of the better wide receivers in the league. I think he's kind of mm. just a guy. I really do. I feel like maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm being jaded again by NFL Twitter. I feel like NFL Twitter, though, it's kind of like out on Juju. I feel like everyone's like, oh, Juju isn't as good as people think he is. So I think it's almost become to me, at least my perception of it, which may not be everyone's, is that like he is either properly rated or maybe even a little underrated. I think Juju, I still have some hope for him. I look at a player who is 24 years old for perspective mm-hmm. here stats. The Eagles drafted a wide receiver named John Hightower last year. Last year, 2020 NFL draft. He is 25 heading into <laughs> his second season. Now, obviously, that's on the older end of the spectrum, but just kind of perspective there. Like, he's still pretty young. I still think there's a chance he can kind of maybe turn things around. And uh, I'm not going to say I'm his biggest fan or anything, but like, I think. I, I wouldn't I had him overrated like question mark on my list from the Steelers. I thought it might be him, but I don't really know that people are under overrating him as much as they might be like saying he's so this might be like the Bill Simmons thing, which I, I hate to bring up, but it's like he's so overrated, he's underrated or whatever. Oh, it's whatever. Um sorry for invoking that here, but uh that's where we are. I will say that he's in a much better position because I think he might not necessarily is going to have to be the number one guy in Pittsburgh, right? right? Deontay Johnson's there. Chase Claypool is there. And then Juju's there. And if that's the role he's going to fill, then you kind of could see the numbers that he saw early in his career when Antonio Brown was there and Juju wasn't the number one guy. So maybe that's what's best for the Steelers is they don't need him to be the, the guy, the number one guy, getting the best defensive matchups and all that stuff. He could just be a guy. And if he's a guy, he's fine. I agree with that. I think he's been kind of – he might not be like your volume target, like your number one guy, but I think he can be a very – like a good number two or what number three option, you know, a complementary piece as opposed to the feature piece. And I guess, you know, from that perspective, that makes sense. If you think he's a number one, then yes, you're overrating him. He's not that. But I, I don't think he's a bad player. I want to I wanna be clear on that. And I think he ha- kind of hasn't shown all of what he has left. So – uh, you have Juju. I'm going to hit one more receiver here, stats, before I want to get to two defensive players. Um, 
Corey Davis. Going back, a lot of players in the AFC East for me. A lot of <laughs> overrated players. I didn't even mention Tua, who we could have really thrown him in there too, and I just did. But uh, Corey Davis stats, signed a contract this offseason for wide receiver 20 money. Can you tell me, stats, how many thousand-yard receiving seasons that Corey Davis has had? None. Yeah, it's zero. Now, in fairness, he was 16 yards short last year, you know, so he just, you know, missed it. But uh, it's not like he came close in the years before. And stats... You like touchdown scores. Corey Davis has 11 touchdowns, only 11 touchdowns in 56 games played. That's not a lot. It's not a lot of touchdowns. So he might be an ascending player. You know, he's entering age 26 season, but I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't, I think the Jets could kind of end up forgetting this contract. I think like it was kind of worthwhile for them because they needed some receiving help. And I kind of get why they made this bet. I don't think it was an awful bet for them, but like, if we're saying like Corey Davis wide receiver one, like, I think that's kind of painting him in a, a light where he's overrated. I agree with you. And, and I talked about Kyler Murray earlier where I said he's less than the sum of his parts. Corey Davis is the exact same thing. He's 6'3", 200 plus pounds. He's, he can run. Like He looks like he should be a much better player than he is. But for whatever reason, he hasn't been able to put it together. Now, I think that he'll do better in the Kyle Shanahan type system that the Jets are going to run there. Uh, I think it'll take advantage of that speed a little bit. Um, but but like you said, he wasn't very good with Tennessee. So even if he is better in New York, I don't know how much better that actually is. I agree with you on Corey Davis. When I saw the Jets make that move, I wasn't like, oh, oh, their wide receiver problems are solved now. Like not by a long shot. I want to get to two defensive players here, stats. So the first one I'm going to open up by asking you, who was like the, the most exciting or biggest Browns offseason addition? Off the top of my head, a uh, huge so you don't uh, even know. No, I don't know. <laughs> so Who is J- it? Would you say Jadavion Clowney is fair? I'm not excited about Jadavion Clowney at all. If people are, that's their problem. Yeah, well, you shouldn't be. This is a guy who has three sacks in his last two seasons. It's kind of funny. I, I feel like maybe again I'm misperceiving it from but from my perception, which is where the overrated aspect comes from. Like, I feel like people talk about him as like a missing piece. You know, it's like, oh, we got Miles Garrett, and now we're pairing him with Davion Clowney, who I think can be an effective role player. But again, you're talking about a guy with three sacks, three sack stats in his last two seasons. So, this idea like that, this is like some big addition. And I feel like that has to be, unless I'm forgetting something very obvious and therefore embarrassing. Like, I feel like that's like, oh, that's the Browns' big. I mean, you could say John Johnson, obviously, was their big free agent signing. And I think it's a good signing by them. But in terms of like name power, does really John Johnson have that name power, like over Jadavion Clowney, number one overall pick? It's not even like just because he's with the Browns. I think throughout his career, kind of, especially in recent years, like Clowney has been overrated because everyone thought, you know, he was like this elite difference maker. And he really hasn't been like in recent years. He's like a journeyman. He's like floating around the league. We have a tendency with, especially with players we know when they get injured a lot, we just think of them as who they are when they're on the field and when they're healthy. And we disregard the injuries and the effect that that has on that player and time that they miss when they are injured. And I think that's exactly what's happening with Clowney between the injuries and the ineffectiveness. You're right. He has not really been anything special as a player. But yet we know the name. Remember that Monday night game against the 49ers when he was abusing poor Joe Staley, who was the ghost of Joe Staley at that point. That was his last year in the league. He absolutely destroyed him and dominated that football game. That sticks with people, right? That's in our head. We think, oh, Jadavian Clowney dominated that game. That's great. 
But when you look at who he's been on the field, he's been a ghost on the field. Like he is not the impactful player that teams are expecting when they're bringing him in. It's a name people know. They hear the name. They get excited. But when you look at what's actually there, I agree. Like, what do you what do you expect with him in Cleveland this year? Like, I expect probably like two to three sacks, maybe some pressures. That's probably about it. Yeah, and you know, I think that's fine. But like, just to, to paint him as a you know this missing piece is just kind of funny to me. Like, no, not quite. Um, I have one last pick here, stats, and it's another edge rusher. And this one is probably like the most surprising pick on my list in terms of like. Some of these rosters I went through, and I'm like, I probably know who I'm already going to pick here, but I'll look at the roster anyway, and then, oh, I'm ending up picking that guy because that's who I thought. But this one, I kind of struggled when I looked at this team. I was like, who do I pick here? But then as I was looking into it, it's like, oh, this is obviously the pick. This <laughs> makes like a lot of sense. So it's the Kansas City Chiefs stats, and it's Frank Clark. Frank Clark is absolutely overrated. Like, this is a player. With I say that a lot. I gotta stop saying it. this is a guy. This is a player. This, but this really is a player with eight sacks, 2019. He had six in 2020. Frank Clark stats is making top five edge money at 20.8 million dollars per year. He made the Pro Bowl both of the last two years, despite the fact he ranked 104 out of 124 of edge rushers graded by PFF last year, and then 74th out of 121 in 2019. And in those years. He ranked 52nd and 58th, respectively, in pass rush productivity, which is a stat by PFF. Like, so you know, traditional stats hasn't hit hasn't hit double digit sacks, and you know, kind of the PFF metrics hasn't been really good at not even an above average player by their grading. Now, you know, take it for what it's worth, but like, even still, this is like you're paying this guy elite money, and he's made the Pro Bowl somehow. I'm guessing because the Chiefs <laughs> have been good. Like, this is absolutely an overrated player. And maybe Pete Sweeney can set me straight from Arrowhead Pride. But when I look and see the fact that the Chiefs are going to have Chris Jones rush from the edge this year a lot more, that to me is a signal that they know that they aren't getting the production from Frank Clark on the edge that they should be getting. Because you don't take a, a stud defensive tackle who can rush the passer from that spot, which is maybe the rarest thing in the NFL, and then all of a sudden say, no, no, we want to put you out on the edge. When everybody knows the most disruptive thing for a quarterback is pressure up the middle. You don't make that move if you're the Chiefs unless there's a problem with who's coming off the edge. And so uh, that moves like that to me, rather than talk and comments and what people say, actions like that by the team to me show that they think that maybe Frank Clark is a little bit overrated. And I don't want to hear like, oh, he does things well that you kind of don't show up on the stat sheet. Again, this is top five edge money. Like you have to get the sack. Like you have to produce when you're getting this kind of level and this kind of recognition too. Again, Pro Bowl. Like what are we doing here? I feel like Frank Clark has skated by basically on like the Chiefs being really good. Like because they've been good and they won a Super Bowl, obviously made it back to another one. It's almost like like he like people aren't the magnifying you know glass the microscope isn't like on him as much because they have so much success and i guess that's fair to some extent but like if he's on a different team that isn't winning as much but is playing the exact same level like this is probably this could be viewed as like one of the worst contracts in the nfl i was you just took the words out of my mouth well let's say the chiefs went you know nine and seven and missed the playoffs last year and people will be saying what went wrong number one on the top of the list on all those articles is going to be Frank Clark, because they're going to point to all the things you just said, and it's going to be about that contract. And for, and remember, too, they got rid of D Ford for Frank. Like that was kind mm -hmm. of the swap that they made, which 
given D Ford's injury history, looked like a good move at the time for Kansas City. But like he was brought in to be the number one heavy pass rusher, the anchor of the pass rush there, given the big contract, and it hasn't happened. And I totally agree. When you are successful, like the Chiefs have been, guys escape scrutiny. What did John Madden say? Winning is the ultimate deodorant. Mm. Well, Frank Clark ain't stinking yet, but he should be. Yeah, and again, it doesn't matter because Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid yep. and Brett Veach. Well, and I think Brett Veach, in fairness, has clearly done a good job elsewhere that you know, it's not like he should be fired or anything. But this is a bad move. Again, to bring it back to the point you were talking about at the top of the show stats, it's fine to criticize the Chiefs for when they do do something bad. They do plenty good. They do plenty right. We'll be praising him here, them here way too much throughout the season probably, unfortunately, much to the chagrin <laughs> of us all and to the joy of Pete Sweeney. But look, this is one of the things they've done wrong and maybe one of the things that, you know, look, if they get better uh, or if they make less of these mistakes – then maybe they can win multiple Super Bowls. And even and maybe they can even if they make these mistakes. But uh, we're going to cover it all here on the SB Nation NFL show, the good and the bad. It's so weird. If you were to ask every coach and every GM and every player in the league if they make mistakes, every single one of them would say yes. And yet if you ask the fans of these teams, their team has never made a mistake ever until they get rid of that person. And then all of a sudden people say, oh, he wasn't any good. We never needed him in the first place, whatever. But when they're wearing those colors, it's they're infallible. It's funny how that works, right? Uh, it drives me absolutely nuts. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Off Day Debrief. Again, we implore you, take two seconds. Follow the SB Nation NFL show. You'll get this show. You'll get the daily kickoff, which is our five-minute update that gives you everything you need to know about what is happening in the league. You don't want to miss it, so smash that follow button. BLG was Really, really good to have you back. I'm glad the holdout is over. I'm, I hope we could just move on now and not focus on the business and just get mm. back to, you know, the game. Glad to be back, Stats. And also, I just wanted to clarify that the fans of the SB Nation NFL show and the podcast in particular can't say a bad word about them. They're always right. When they, you know, when they defend us and they say we always make the right moves, they're right. That's That's the one time when... The fans are right about everything, and there's only everything positive to say, and there's nothing negative to say. It's, it's when it comes to the SB Nation NFL show. Yeah, I thought that just went without saying. I mean, that's <laughs> some things are just obvious. Uh, but enjoy your day, BLG. Enjoy your week, everybody. We'll be back Friday with The Look Ahead, myself and RJ Ochoa. Stand by for that, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. 